started, uh, have someone else read the uh, scripture that we have for this morning. So if you could, just stand for the reading of God's word. Um, Today we'll be reading out of John 6, verses 25 through 29. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father was placed, his seal of approval. Then they asked him, What must we do to do the works of the works God requires? Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Awesome. That's the word of the Lord. So if you would, please go ahead and sit down. We'll begin. Great. So before we get started, here, let me s- I'm going to steal this podium right here. I won't take the iPad with it. So I dropped a pencil in the first service, too. That's weird. So anyways, so guys, my name is Gary. Uh, if, if you don't know me already, um, for those of you who don't know me already, I uh, serve as the, the head of the college ministry here. I've uh, been here for about two years, um, so it's been a great time. Um, I've kind of seen slowly, uh, as someone who wasn't going here before and kind of just jumping in with a church, you know, at first it's not like immediate, like, buddy-buddy. Not that I had anything wrong with it, it's just I didn't know anybody. I didn't really know what the church is all about. But as I've been here longer and longer, and I told Pastor Heath this recently, it's like, my wife and I, Stephanie, like we've, we've come to truly enjoy um, growing with everyone else and, and loving with everyone else and just, just being a part of this church. Um, you know, and so with that, for one, thanks, Pastor Heath, for giving me the opportunity up here this morning. Um, it's it's going to be interesting. So uh, <laughs> we'll see. You know, I, I haven't gotten to do this too many times, but um, you know, I was telling the first service, the times that I have done that, um, you know, I've got two water bottles up here. I don't, who needs two water bottles, right? Um, anyway, but th- because I get parched and, uh, excuse me, well, I use water bottles. And like, back to my story originally, the first time I did a, a sermon in front of, a, a, you know, I may, might have been 50 to 100 people or something like that, I took a cup of water. Now, any of you who do not like public speaking or get nervous and just an- anxious, that, that's me. Uh, I've gotten a little better with it, uh, but I had the cup of water, and as you go to reach for that thing, whenever you're in the middle of it, you, you don't realize how bad you're shaking until the water is just getting you wet. <laughs> and so it's pretty embarrassing. Um, I even mentioned something about a sippy cup in the first service, so... Uh, I think I've graduated to just a water bottle now, so that's good. Um, but yeah, so just real quick, a little bit more about, uh, just tell you who I am, since some of you might not know me, like I said. I uh, grew up in West Texas, Midland, Odessa, to be specific. If you haven't seen the movie Friday Night Lights, um, that's not exactly how it is, but it's similar. Uh, there's not much out there. Uh, so I, I went there, I, I grew up in a the Christian family, you know, got me to church, even put me in a private Christian school. Uh, it was great. You know, I think my, my mom's primary reason for doing that is because she thought I was going to get in a lot of trouble at public school. Um, she, was, she was probably right, uh, to be honest with you. So 
thank her for that, because I don't know where I'd be if it weren't for that. Uh, also, uh, you know, after graduating high school, came to Dallas Baptist. Um, actually, even before coming here, I, as I spent, you know, however many years at private Christian school, I was like, okay, never again. Not going to do it. I'm not going to another private school again. I want to go public, gig them, who knows, maybe. Uh, was planning on going there last second, um, you know, change of directions. Uh, got in contact with somebody from uh, Dallas Baptist from the golf team, the coach there, wanted me to come play for him. And so uh, I got to play golf uh, collegiately. Um, you know, I, I didn't play for very long. I played for a semester, so it's, but I still can put that on my resume, so that's cool. Um, so, uh, but yeah, so it, it's, it's interesting to see in that, um, you know, just in my testimony how the Lord used, you know, just a little hook to get me to come to Dallas Baptist, right? I, I had I didn't want to go to church camp, you know, I didn't want to do that for, for you know, school. That, to be honest, that's kind of what DBU is, in a, in a good way. It, it, it provides you an opportunity to really chase after Jesus in a lot of different avenues. Um, you know, a lot of chapel services, a lot of Bible studies on campus, things like that. It's great. Um, well, fast-forwarding a little bit, uh, you know, one semester, I ended up going back to Midland um, and uh, just trying to make a little money and get, get a job there and, and help the, you know, DBU is, is you got to pay for it, obviously, and so I wasn't paying for it. My parents were, and they wanted me to do that. So come back to uh, Midland, and I start getting a little, you know, I forget the, that how much I had fun at DBU. I forget about, you know, the, the opportunities that I had there and, and how great it was, and I start to kind of get a little, you know, I missed it. I missed it. I wanted to go back. So I ended up going back, you know, which I thought I would never do. Um, fast forward another, you know, year or two, and I end up, you know, I think, I think for me, looking back in my timeline, if I want to put a flag on my salvation, is going to be when I came back to DBU another year down the road, year two down the road, when I finally understood what it meant to be a believer. Um, and it's, it's, it was huge for me. It was life-changing. It went from you know, not really caring about where I was, what I was doing, the grades I was making, you know, small stuff, you know, some might view as small, um, important things, but those things flipped around for me, and it was all because of my understanding of what it really means to believe. And so we're going to talk about that this morning, and what it means to believe. Uh, And so, if you would, go ahead and turn with me to John chapter 6, we're going to be there, um, pretty much all morning. Um, so before we really dive into our, our passage, um, and our passage, like we read, is going to be in verses 25 and uh, going a few more into it uh, there into 29, I believe. And so I don't even know my own scripture, you know, it's, it's my sermon, I should know that. But uh, no, but w- what we want to do first is we want to go through John, the book, um, briefly, just kind of covering some things, and then John chapter 6, and I'll tell you why after we talk a little bit more about John. So, the book of John, written by John, the, the disciple, um, not the Baptist, uh, he, he is the disciple, right? He is the one that Jesus loves. He, it's, it's how he refers to himself in his book. He doesn't even write his name in his book. When he refers to himself, he refers to himself as the one who Jesus loved, Right? And so that's one thing to know about John. Another thing, too, is um, the way he writes in this book, how it comes across. 
it's, it's a little easier to read. For those of you who have read it, you might know like, it does kind of flow a little easier. It's a little to follow along, things like that. It, it's not quite as complicated as maybe some other Gospels are, um, or just Scripture in general. Um, and so it's very readable, but yet it's still very deep. Um, and, I, and one of the things we'll talk about later is, is how John is able to kind of reference back how Christ uses this multi-level language, this spiritual and a physical language, whenever he's conveying a truth to someone. The, that being said, you know, we're going to talk about the bread that perishes and, and the bread that lasts to eternity. There's a spiritual aspect to that, and then there's a, a, you know, there's a physical aspect to that, and then there's a spiritual aspect to that. And uh, that, that'll be key in, in, in knowing that when we're going through the passage. And so, um, you know, the, the main theme of John, uh, as a lot of you might know, um, you know, my belief is that it's, it's to, to, you know, make people believe. It's to highlight the things that Christ did, the signs, the miracles, and it's, you know, believe in this guy, believe in Jesus. Um, and he does that all throughout the book. Uh, and so now what I want to do is chapter 6 specifically, okay? So now you can kind of look in one little area here. Um, so John chapter 6. And the reason I wanted to go with 6, you know, just as one part first is because notice it says, it starts, it says after this, meaning it was... It, this is following a series of events or whatever the case might be. Well, it says the same thing in chapter 5. It begins the same way after this. And even in chapter 7, it says after this. So I think what John may be doing, and I'm, I, I'm compelled to believe this, that John is, is writing this out, not chapter by chapter, obviously, because they didn't have that in the verses in the beginning. But he's writing these things out, and he's wanting you to notice that this is one big part. This is one big story. And yeah, there's going to be some pretty cool stuff that happens, but you've got to take it all as one. So if you're going to talk about one or you're going to, you're going to pay attention to one, you have to understand the rest of it to really get the, the gravity of what's going on there. And so that's why we're going to go through it, is, is because I think you have to if you really want to understand it well. So we begin with, uh, you know, the first several verses, or first, you know, more than several, but 15, uh, is when we have the feeding of the 5,000. So we've, we've heard a lot about that, right? We, we know that there was a kid there that had some, you know, bread, that had some fish, and Jesus was able to turn that into a massive feast for 5,000 men. The men there is specific to only men, right? So there's more than that. There's more than 5,000 people. There's probably, you know, I read uh, it could be anywhere from 10 to as much as 20,000 people. Okay, that's, that's, a, that's a lot of people. Um, even uh, if you have a lot of food to feed them, even with a lot, that's just crazy to think about. That many people all gathered around one dude that's, that's you know, preaching. And so, you know, to kind of go a little even further is those five pieces of bread. Uh, I didn't get much of a response from this in the, in the first service, but how many of you like Twinkies? Okay, thank you. I, the, I think just we like Twinkies, but... Uh, I, I told everybody else in the first service, I don't believe any of you. You know, I think everyone likes Twinkies. Anyways, <laughs> the barley loaves, the loaves of bread, back to the Bible, right? So the barley loaves there, the five that he uses, um, would have been the same size as a Twinkie. It wasn't like a big, you know, Jimmy John's, if they have the big ones. I don't know, Subway has the big ones. It's not stuff like that. No, not at all. When I first heard this, I was thinking it was probably pretty big loaves of bread. But it's not. Um, also, the fish. This isn't like your huge tuna that you can catch in the sea and you can feed a bunch of people. It's, it's, uh, it's like sardines. 
like, isn't that, what I, I think in the first service, that's what they put on pizza. I've heard that before. If it's sardines or anchovies or something like that, that's gross. But people do that, right? And I guess in, in that area, that's back then, they, they used that actually kind of give it a little taste because the barley loaves were actually, that's what people that were a little, you know, more on the, the poverty side would eat, the barley loaves. And so they'd kind of throw a little taste on it. So it was only there for like a seasoning. So he takes that and he feeds not 5,000 men only, but 10K plus. That's, it was already a miracle, right? Now it's just speechless. Wow. Okay. Jesus is kind of a big deal, right? That's probably what they're thinking. So after this takes place, we have, uh, you know, people are, are, wow, this guy, this is, this, this is the one that the prophet spoke about. Let's make him our king. And so they're getting ready to take him, and Jesus says, I'm going to go ahead and uh, slide out of here, and I'm going to go hide in the mountain and pray, and uh, I'm not going to be made king right now. Didn't want anything to do with that. He wasn't going to be uh, the king in, in those regards. Um, and so as we go to there, you know, the disciples end up taking off. They go across the sea. Jesus doesn't go with them, and they notice that. The people notice that. And then uh, as night falls, the, the disciples are already kind of halfway along. They're struggling. And we get to the walk on water scene, right? So the following verses after that are going to be when Jesus walks on the water. If you didn't think the first miracle was kind of out of this world crazy, then this one's, you know, it's right up there with it. So, and so with that, the walking on water part, so we know that Jesus waited. He didn't, he didn't go with them initially. They left in the evening, whereas Jesus waited till dark or night. So he left a lot later. Well, it says about the time that they went, and it was around 3 o'clock in the morning. Or not when they went, but when they, when they came and crossed paths. When Jesus is walking on water and crosses paths with the, the disciples who are freaking out. Who, by the way, are professional, have been professional fishermen. Some of them have been professional sailors, I guess. I don't know what they would be called sailors back then, but boat guys. Uh, I don't know. Should, should brush on that. But you know what I mean. Like they, they should know how to handle themselves on the sea. They shouldn't be scared by a storm. And so they're freaking out, and then all of a sudden they see this guy walking on the water three or four miles out, and then it's like double scared, right? You're just like, that's a ghost. And so they're freaking out, and then Jesus says something to him. And this is, this is big. Uh, Jesus says something to him and says, it is I, do not be afraid. And we look at it, and we see that how the disciples respond, right? They're like, okay, good. We, we're fine now. We're fine. It's huge. Okay, that, that, that's big right there. And we don't see this, um, you know, just by reading the passage. We have to do a little digging. But the, what that is there, the it is I, do not be afraid. The way it's translated, there's a, um, there's a meaning to it that says this same thing that it says in, in Exodus chapter 3, I am that I am. And so some of you are like, well, the Old Testament's in Hebrew. How is it? It's not Greek. Well, the Septuagint, right? So the Septuagint is, is in Greek. It's the Old Testament translated into Greek. And so it says the same thing there, and it's translated the same way. It carries the same message. Jesus also uses that same phrase there. It's like ego I me um, is in the Greek, and he uses the same phrase when he says, I am the bread of life, I am the gate. You know, whenever he says the only way to, to get to God is through me, I am the way, the truth, and the life, right? So this, this, this little phrase that he uses is huge. And notice how the disciples respond to it, and they're, everything's good. That's big, so, so remember that. Um, as we move forward, 
actually, we got we got to stop. Um, it doesn't mention the the rest of the voyage. Did y'all notice that too? It doesn't mention the rest of the voyage as if they just teleported. And if you're like me, and maybe you are, when I read that again recently, when I was preparing, I was like, they did not teleport. They just forgot to mention it or something. Like, I kind of sound like the guy who's probably saying, he didn't feed 5,000 people. Like, what am I doing, right? I just, I just saw a sign that Jesus did, and then now I'm questioning that he could actually. So he might have teleported. I don't know. I mean, you could see it, right? So I think it's possible. So they, they, anyways, the point there is they get to the other side. They make it. Um, you know, then we come to our text right here, and, and just briefly, uh, I'll summarize that and then run through the rest, just so we know, like I said, I think it's important to get this. Um, the, the people find, you know, Jesus, they, they, they go around the other side, processes of elimination, they're like, okay, the disciples aren't here, we saw them leave without Jesus, Jesus is not here, and there's still a boat left, so we're, okay, so Jesus, we're going to go find him, so he's over there. So they go, they find him, they go, well, how'd you get here, where, where, when'd you get here? And Jesus doesn't answer the question and just kind of aims at their heart with the message that we're going to talk about this morning. Now, after that, you know, we get some of the bigger stuff, uh, not bigger stuff, but more well-known, I'd say, the the I am the bread of life, right? So he he gives them that message of really who he is and and what he is about and revealing some of his deity, his deity, not some of his, all of his deity. And so as we get through there, you know, they're still talking. They're still going through, um, you know, this, this idea of how he's the bread of life and what that really means. You know, as we move forward to verses 41 through 59, you're going to start to see where there's, there's going to be some grumbling. It might even be titled that in your Bible. And they're, they're not buying it. They're just like, who is this guy? He's from Nazareth. He's Joseph and Mary, like nobodies. Like, who, how does he have the ability to say this stuff, right? Uh, and, you know, I compared it to Midland, where I'm from, like Jesus of Nazareth, like Gary of Midland, like who's this guy, right? You know, but it's, it's kind of what they meant, right? Like it's, that's what they were saying. And they, and they were upset about it because Jesus was saying some hard stuff. And he says even harder stuff after that. Uh, he, he goes through and starts to say, well, if you're going to be a follower of you know, God, if you want to know what the word of God is, and he figures that out. And basically he says, you're going to have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Okay. Um, that's, that's why people turned away. It's hard stuff. That's why they're grumbling. Like, they think he's crazy. But in 60 to 71, uh, we see another, the final, this is the final part, so just bear with me for, just for a second. It says 60 to 71, it tells us basically, we can kind of see in there the true disciples and the false disciples. So in that little section of scripture, we're going to see people turn away and they're called disciples. And then we're going to see people stay that are disciples and, and you want to know why, and, and, and it says it, it's because where are we going to go? You're the one that has eternal life. What else, why is anything else important? Everything we need is right here. We're not leaving, okay? And, and that's, that's kind of how it comes to a close. It's, it's, it's great. Um, I even remember when I was talking to Pastor Heath about this, I was like, I think, so, so this is what I'm going to do. Uh, we sat down in his office, and I was like, I still don't really have the scripture that I'm going to use yet, but it's in John chapter 6 somewhere, and it's just, I just want to tie everything together, and I was like, that's probably going to take two or three hours, because it's so, it's, you know, I almost wanted to have the college student read the entire book. That's a lot of verses. To get up here and do the scripture, the scripture reading, I don't think you guys could stand that long. 
So I didn't, but I decided to come to the passage that I thought was probably the most, you know, telescoped in that, that we could really focus on this morning, and, and that's where we'll go now. So without further ado, let's go to our text, right? So um, now we're going to be in verse 25 starting out, so go ahead and read there with me, and, and we'll start from there. It says, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said, Rabbi, when did you come here? Okay, so... They're asking a question to Jesus. They're confused of how he got there. And, you know, I mentioned it in the overview, and I'll go ahead and talk about this, is why, why did Jesus not answer the question? We'll see that in a little bit. He doesn't answer that question. Well, what's the question again? When did, when did you come here? I think you can make an argument that it also means how did you get here? And Jesus doesn't answer that. Like, how is he going to answer that? Uh, I walked. How would the people have responded? Think about that. That's pretty crazy. I, I don't know. Uh, to, to think of, you know, there's been times where I think I've, I've left the same location maybe with my mom or my dad, like when I first started driving in Midland, and we'd leave like a restaurant or something at the same time. We're both in our separate cars, and they're like home way before me. And I get there, and I'm like, how did you get what did you do? They're like, I just know all the back ways. It's not like Jesus knew the back ways. He just took like the direct route over the water. And the crazy part is there weren't any boats that he could have taken because there was still a boat left. And the other one, the disciples went in. So how is that? So it's, it's, it's funny how Jesus decides, I'm not, I'm not going to even address that. I just don't even want to get into that. And so what does he do instead? He skips that question. He goes straight to the heart. Right? So look with me at the next verse here. And it says... Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. I read that with a little more of an oomph because I think that Jesus might have too. I think he might have said it that way. And the reason I say that is the truly, truly part. We've, we've probably been taught before why um, it's important to take note of that truly, truly. Well, it's important, you know, I'll say it again, is because it's, it's setting up what is about to be said, and it's saying that it's important and you need to listen up. It's saying, hey, what I'm about to say is important. Pay attention. You know, you could, it could be said, mark my words. You're not here for, you know, anything else but food. So that, that for one, is, is very important to take note of uh, and to realize how important... Um, it is that, that what Jesus is about to say is so important. Uh, and, and so as we move forward, we realize uh, exactly what Jesus is aiming at when I say he's aiming at the heart. But what is at their heart? He, said, he, he says it. You know, they're, not, they're not after me. You're not after me. You're, you're after what you had last night. Like last night was dinner. You slept. You probably haven't had breakfast yet. You're, you're, you're not seeking me for anything but for breakfast. That's the only reason you came over here. And so as we read, it says, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. In verse 27, it says right here, Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For, God, for on him, God the Father has set his seal. And so, 
That's where we're going to be camped out for a little bit now, um, is that verse in particular. Uh, immediate takeaways here, guys, is the fact that there's two different kinds of bread. Okay, there's one that perishes, and then there's one that endures into eternal life. Also take note that one of them is free. There's some free food right here. God is saying, God, Jesus is saying, one of these is a gift. Anytime you say that around the college students in our college group, they're just like, is there going to be pizza? Yeah, there'll be pizza. All right, man, we'll be there. We'll be some friends and stuff. You know, like it's free food. They're paying attention. You saw Jacarius up here, right, whenever you welcomed everybody? He's a perpetrator. I just, just threw him under the bus. <laughs> I'm actually kidding, man. He, he, he'll come no matter what. I just like playing with Jacarius. Uh, so, so like I said, there's, there's a couple of things here to take away. The free food, like we just said, that's a gift and it endures into eternal life. And then the other one that perishes, the one that has an expiration date, the one that doesn't last. And so with that, we need to know, well, okay, what, what exactly is the food? What is this food that Jesus is talking about? So as we look at this food and we, we start to ask that question, we've got to remember what we talked about earlier, that John does a good job of highlighting when Jesus uses that multi-level language. When I say, remember, the physical and the spiritual. So he's going to say one thing, and it's going to have a surface level, it's going to be the bread, right? But there's going to be something else. Now, what's the something else? So let's talk about the bread that perishes first. So the bread that perishes is going to be simply what you worship. Like, Jesus is saying, you're not coming to me for... For me, you're coming to me for the bread that perishes. You know, you're, you're approaching food this way. You're approaching food in the way that you live so that you can eat. You don't live to eat. You don't live for food. Right? He's, he's telling them that you're struggling with understanding what, what is at the center and what needs to be at the center of your lives. And so... That, looks, that, that can look a lot of ways. Like I said, he's not talking only about food or bread or whatever the case might be. He could be talking about idolatry and just what you worship in general. You know, what are some of the common things that we struggle with in America here, the, the things that don't last, right? I mean, a job being successful, the American dream, that's, that's pretty easy to go to because it's so, so much of us have struggled with that. Whether, not, whether it's us or it's anyone, it's just it's ingrained in our minds that as an American we need to be successful, we need to chase after money, and we need to work really hard doing it, and that's the point. That is the point. And so that, this, that kind of looks that way, you know, in America as far as what perishes. You know, if, if you look in the, in the chapter itself, and even in the book, if you, if you fast forward, um, there's an illustration, I think, that's given about laboring for the food that perishes and what that can do to you. Um, we all know about the disciple Judas, right? What happened to him? He, he betrayed Jesus. So why did he do that? Did it for some money. He, he, he labored through all that so he could get some money. And what did he do at the end of his life when he finally got his reward? He realized how little and how fleeting it was. And then he hung himself. He's like, I, I did all that for this? It was, it was pointless. It was worthless. It took him a long time to figure that out because hindsight's twenty twenty, right? So 
That's the bread that perishes. That's the food that perishes. Now, when we talk about the, the other kind of food, the one that endures to eternal life, um, I mean, you know what we're talking about, right? I mean, we, we kind of briefly touched on it earlier. It's, it's, I am the bread of life. Jesus says that. So the bread here that doesn't perish is going to be Jesus. Now, to further unpack that, though, we have to understand the fact that, you know, there is labor that is mentioned here with the foods. And how does somebody, you know, labor for the food, labor for Jesus that endures eternal life? So what does all that look like, really? How, practically say that to me. How does that look like? So first, let's, let's kind of move forward and see the response that they get, okay? So as we move forward, it says, Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? That's the people responding to Jesus after he says, do not labor for the food that perishes, but labor for the food that endures unto eternal life. And so they don't get it, right? They completely missed it. They don't have, they, they're still on that, that first level of surface level, the physical level. Or they don't get the spiritual. So as they miss it, you know, they also miss the fact that what Jesus says after it and, or before that in the verse when he says, Jesus mentions that he's sealed. He's got the seal of God. And we'll talk about that here in a little bit, um, in a little bit. But, you know, when we're discussing what it looks like um, to do the works of God, um, you know, for one, it's not, you know, the work of God for us. Like, it's not necessarily a work, right? We've always heard that. It's just believe. It's faith. And so... It's funny how we can get that confused just like the people did here. So, so look closely. Jesus says labor, right? He says labor for the food. He, I think here again, he's not necessarily talking about laboring. He's just like living your life, right? Just how you go about your life. Um, the people see that, they hear that, they're like, okay, working for that food, working for the other food. Okay, so how do we work to get this eternal food? So working for this eternal food, okay, religiously, God or Jesus, what do I need to do so that I can get this food that never ends, right? How do I get that food? Do I sacrifice an extra goat, Jesus? Like, they're probably thinking religiously, like, what are the works of God that I need to do? So they're, they're thinking strictly as a Pharisee would, you know, like, actions. What, what do I do? And Jesus says, okay, what, you want me to answer that question? The work of God is, is, is believe in the one whom he had sent. It's not necessarily a work, it's believe, right? Believe in the one who he had sent. And as we get to that, that's, that's kind of where we're going to be camping out um, for the rest of the time, uh, for the most part. And so, I want to ask that question again, like we said at the beginning, finally got there. What does it mean to believe? Jesus just said, believe. So what does it mean to believe? Well, you know, when God, uh, when Jesus says this, the, this, the crowd responds back to them and, all right, well then prove to us you are who you say you are. And they still miss it again, right? And, and, and Jesus kind of unpacks that for them. And so and we won't get into that. But the, the idea of being sealed, for one, just to kind of quickly touch that, um, I don't want to skip over that like I almost did, but the idea of Jesus saying he was sealed by God is, you know, a seal. He's authentic. Um, he carries the authority of God. Um, you know, another way to put it, how many in here use Twitter? I, I think more people. It's the Twinkie thing, but you guys are with the Twitter. So, um, 
So anyway, Twitter, if you know anything about Twitter, there's a, there's a little blue check mark, right, beside famous people and their names. Um, that's to show that they're a verified account, that they are that, that person. They are who they say they are, right? That's Twitter's way of having a seal. I mean, just an illustration, but the same way uh, Jesus says here that he is sealed by God, well, what does his seal look like? His seal is not just something that, you know, it's not just a word, it's not just like, you know, an illustration that he's trying to give. And say, it's like a seal. He's actually saying, no, it's the works that I've done. It's the signs and miracles that I've been performing so that you guys would know the one who sent me. So it, so it points you to me, to Christ. That, that, that's, that's what the seal is, or the, 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 the things that I've been doing, the powerful miracles, feeding those people, walking on water for the disciples, right? Everything. And so that's the seal there. So, so now as we go back, <clears throat> or go forward, I'm sorry, we ask the question again, what does it mean to believe? And the one who's been sealed, right? So, to believe. So, I think there's two beliefs. I don't think, I, I know. I know there are two kinds of beliefs. I mean, I don't mean like two different kinds of beliefs. You can believe this or you can believe that. I mean, in the same way that there can be a true disciple and a false disciple. In the same way that they, there can be a saving faith and a faith. So, I mean, I, how many in here can you know, quote a bunch of facts about stuff, right? You can quote facts all day long. It doesn't necessarily mean you put any weight on what it is that you're talking about. Okay, so, so the, to, to be able to quote the Bible, to be able to state facts and acknowledge facts or even believe those facts about Jesus doesn't qualify you to believe. It's more than that. It's not, it's not necessarily complicated. It's, it's not like a, you know, something crazy. It's, there's more to, to believing in Christ than to simply state facts. Like I said earlier, whenever I, I, I finally, you know, had the, my salvation experience, was when I stopped stating facts and I started realizing them. Okay, so when you feel the weight of that, you, you start to understand what I mean there, if you've ever gone through that experience like I have. And so, two, two kinds of faith. One of them is the one that we see later on in this chapter when people start to leave when stuff gets hard. Calls them disciples and says they left. Even one of the disciples of the twelve wasn't a true disciple. And I say that because when I first heard this idea of two kinds of faith, you know, you can, be, you can still be, you know, believe in Jesus and, and not really believe. And I was like, That's, how does that work? That doesn't work. Well, it does work. I mean, Judas believed, right? He, he did. He knew who Jesus was. He saw everything he did. But he didn't, he didn't believe in the way that the Bibli- in, in, the, in the biblical sense. Right? Likewise, if we go to Matthew, we see a really hard passage. We see a really hard passage um, you know, that you need to, to unpack and it's, it's when Jesus says that some will do a lot of these things for me, and they're going to come to me, I'm, you know, in heaven, I'm going to say, I, I don't know who you are, leave. I never knew you. And the description it gives of those people that get turned away is pretty intense. They sound like some pretty, you know, I was about to say baller Christians, like as if I was just kind of talking with a friend there. But some high, you know, high-end Christians, right? I've heard uh, Matt Chandler call them varsity-level Christians. Or some people would say, like, 
special ops, military-style Christians, they're casting demons out. They're hardcore, right? I don't want none of that. I mean, if that happens, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll do it, maybe. I don't know, but that's, that's scary stuff. And those people are doing that, right? And Jesus still says, you're workers of lawlessness. They believed. So what's the difference? What's the difference between that person and a true disciple? And so I think this, this right here is what I'll say it, to kind of sum it up briefly is to really believe in Christ is actually depending on Christ. So if, if I wanted to have a one-point sermon, I mean, I, I kind of didn't do the, the typical five points, right? So it's really easy to write notes. It's probably why I didn't write a, a little section for you guys in the, in the booklet to kind of follow along because it's just kind of just walking through this. But if I wanted to give you one thing to take away, it's true faith in Christ is depending on Christ. And so what does that look like, right? Well, what did the disciples say at the end of John chapter 6? Where are we going to go? You're the one that has eternal life. No one else can offer us that. And inside that eternal life, what else is there? His, everybody's needs are going to be met in Christ. Everything. He's going to take care of us. I mean, it's not going to be the, the common misconception of the prosperity gospel, right? Where if you believe, then you get a lot of this cool stuff, or you're going to, you know, get, get tithe, you know, an extra 10% this month, and then God's going to bless you tenfold. Like, that doesn't happen, right? No, that's not, that's kind of what the, or the, the disciples thought when they followed Jesus. They're like, hey, we came for some more bread. He's just like, well, are you going to still be a disciple if it gets hard? Uh, oh, no, no, we're not. We're going to go. You know, they, they struggled with that. And so, like I said, faith in Jesus is more than just stating facts about who he is. It's more than just believing those facts. It's depending on those facts to be true.